Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're with us today in the room. All of those watching online, we are in our second week um, of Advent. And uh, if you haven't picked up an Advent guide, they're absolutely free. They're out in the lobby. You can pick one up. You can catch up this week if you want. Or, man, just start on week two. We're in this um, uh, segment of Advent where we're looking at the advent of peace, the arrival of peace from God. And uh, we last week we, we lit a candle for hope. It took us a little bit to get it to work. And uh, this week I upgraded. <laughs> and I'm going to light a candle. Come on with it. To represent peace. Isaiah chapter 9. 6 through 9 says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies. Oh, he'll make this happen. Would you bow as we pray? Father, thank you for bringing us peace through your Son, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Holy Spirit, as we remain in communion with you today, would you help us to also become a conduit of your peace towards others? We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, showing us what love looks like, And in the name of the Holy Spirit who abides in us, we pray. And all the people said, Amen. 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 The advent of peace, the arrival of peace. uh, To borrow some words from uh, the Bible Project on this subject of peace, here kind of how they frame and define peace for us. They say this, that the word peace is a common one in most languages. People talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It it often means an absence of, of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Will you turn to your neighbor and just say shalom? The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that's kind of perfect in shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that's got no gaps or no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state, though, of completeness or wholeness. Uh, This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. 
Like, like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield and he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex and full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these out of a, go out of alignment or are missing, your shalom is breaking down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king and a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and and make right all the wrongs and heal all that's been broken. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. Whether it's in our individual lives, whether it's in the relationships that we engage with, or the larger scope of the world itself. This is the arrival of peace. Peace, friends, is not a lack of conflict, but rather it is the presence of a person with the power to make us whole. Can can we just sit with that for a second? It's, It's not the absence of conflict. It's actually the presence of a person who has the power to make you whole, to take the broken, shattered fragments of your life that has been tattered, torn, broken down uh, by betrayal of other people, by uh, disappointment and disillusionment to the world in which we live in, to to the anger and the chaos and the destruction and often the certain death that awaits all of us because the moment you were born, you began to die. The moment you took your first breath, we live in a world that is marked by frailty and fracture and will lead to an inevitable end because that's what's awaiting all of us. The trick for many of us and the goal for many of us seems to be how long can we hang on to life? How full can we make our life? How, how, how often uh, we spread ourselves so thin that we actually begin to shatter and fragment and break apart and tear apart like a tendon tearing away from a bone. We can find ourselves in angst and pain, longing and needing for something to be restored and remedied and made whole. This idea of, of, of peace is an idea of, of healing, of wholeness, of being complete. Not, not only taking a missing piece and filling it, but taking the many pieces of your life and turning it into a mosaic of beauty and glory and majesty that points and paints a picture of the God in whom we serve. In fact, the the more pieces you feel like your life has been ripped and torn and shattered to and broken into and and how uh, fractured your heart might feel and traumatized your soul might uh, have in its wake right now, I I just want to remind you and bring you some good news that Jesus' arrival on the earth was the advent of peace. And the more pieces you feel your life are in, the more beautiful a mosaic of restoration that can begin through Jesus Christ. I think that uh, as I think about this idea of peace and last Sunday we talked about hope and how how hope is often um, 
kind of grown in our worship, how when we worship God, we're, we're turning our attention to God and, and our eyes kind of lift up and we begin to see beyond what is and what was. And, 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 and so as our eyes lift towards heaven and lift towards the sky, we, we can find ourselves growing with hope because our gaze is beyond our current circumstance. We begin to see to the horizons. And, and I think that worship and, and singing allows us to engage with the presence of God in a very unique way. If peace is the presence of a person who has the power to make us whole, then when we talk about peace and we talk about singing and worshiping and, and singing songs about the reign of God and, and the kingdom of God and the celebration and the joy that comes from being in the presence of God, when, when we sing these songs of worship, it's actually allowing us to engage with the presence of God in a very, very unique way. There is something unique that happens when we gather or when we intentionally draw our attention heavenward and our affections begin to be expressed with our words and with the posture and movement of our bodies. Why do we lift our hands? Well, it's the sign of affection and surrender. Why do we, why do we clap? Because we're celebrating something. Why, why the physical embodied expressions of worship that you see take place in our midst? Why? Because those are expressions of our affection. Why do we often close our eyes when we sing? It's because we're trying to focus in our attention on the one who's worthy of it all, the one who is being here with us. I think that's often why songs have such a central place in the Christian life and the celebration of Advent, the celebration of Christmas, the arrival of Christ is a, is a season full of singing, full of song, because songs have a way of turning our attention and expressing our affection for one who's worthy of it. It has a way of inviting the very presence of the one that we are waiting for. And while the first advent of Christ has already occurred thousands of years ago, we are still linking and standing in solidarity and, and hanging on to the words of the prophets of old who were awaiting his first arrival. We are seeing these words and longing for the peace that will come when he arrives again. See, when Jesus returns for his second advent, he will make peace reign the entire cosmos itself. And the chaos and the death and the pain that we experience in this human world will be redeemed, restored, and what is missing will be made shalom, will be made peace. Peace will fully rule and reign yet Again, and so our songs today are doing the same thing that the songs that they sang of old did. I, I, I was thinking this week about one of the first songs sung around the time of Christ's first arrival. It was a song sung by the mother of Jesus, by, by Mary. And we, and we see this song in Luke chapter 1. Would you go to Luke chapter 1 with me? We're going to examine this song for just a minute, and then we're going to flip to an older song in the book of Psalms today as well. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46 through verse 55, it says this, Mary responded. She had already found out about um, that, that she was going to be carrying the Messiah, that as a virgin she would give birth to this, this son of God. 
She's already spent some time with her cousin Elizabeth and uh, spent time with her. And they've been sharing life together and growing in hope for what was coming as she herself was in, in a miracle season of God doing something on her behalf. And they had spent some time together. And here we find Mary expressing something to God in song. And here are the words. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in, not my circumstance, but in God my Savior. Underline that word Savior, if you would. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He has shown mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. Oh, he has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And send the rich away with empty hands. It's a statement of justice. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. She's rejoicing in this song, remembering the promises of God. And, and she sings, my soul praises, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he noticed his lowly servant. I, I want you to understand something as Mary was singing this song. C can we just not... Um, I don't want us to lift the scriptures out of humanity. I want us to see the scriptures written within the context of the humanity that they were lived and written in. For Mary, her circumstance while was beginning to experience something truly uh, amazing that no one else on the earth would ever experience, giving birth to the Savior and carrying him in her womb, while that indeed was something transformative and just miraculous, and we have a hard time biologically getting our brains around it, so we have no other category for it other than miraculous, this was not a pleasant season for her. To have a child out of wedlock, out of marriage, which she was not yet married, was ostracizing, to say the least, in her community. And the fact that her expression of faith and adoration to God was, you see me and look favorably on a lowly servant, she was recognizing that God's eyes in her direction were different than the eyes of the culture that were gazing at her as she walked down the street. She was singing a song not out of joy because everything in her life was fine. She was singing a song because she was desperate for the peace that her son would bring her. Because her life was now in pieces. She had the perfect thing. She was about to get married. She was engaged, dreaming of the wedding. It was going to be a beautiful celebration, lots of singing, and a week-long thing. And now that might not even happen for her. But yet she says, my soul will rejoice. There was a song she was willing to sing in her pain knowing that her song would eventually bring her peace. Because there is a peace that we experience in the presence of God 
that we don't experience any other place. It is unique to being in the presence of God. The shalom of Yahweh himself manifest in our heart and soul many of you week after week you show up on sunday and you sing these songs with us and 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 water fills your eye ducts and your your eyeballs start to sweat a little bit because you are not singing from a place where everything is perfect you're singing from a place where everything feels like it's been broken to pieces But when things are broken into pieces, that's where the presence of the Prince of Peace shows up and begins to make things whole again. That's what we are singing about. And I love that as she was looking for the the coming of her son, the coming of the Son of God, the coming of the Savior, she fixes her, her words, says, My soul longs, my rejoices in God, my Savior. That word Savior is uh, the word soterio in the Greek. You've been around Faith Church. You know I like to get Greeky with it every once in a while. (laughs) That That word soterio in the Greek also has another root connected to it, and it's the word sozo meaning to save or to deliver. It's, it's more of the, the action verb orientation of the word soterio, which is more of a descriptive kind of a word. So she's saying, the, my soul rejoices, not in my circumstance, not in how people are thinking of me, not in the opinions and the public persuasion, not in everything being right. My soul is rejoicing despite my world feeling perhaps shattered and torn and disillusioned. My soul is rejoicing in God, my soterio, the one who will sozo me, the one who will save, deliver In other words, she was singing about a peace that would come because there was one who is the Prince of Peace coming who would rescue the people of God. Rescue them in a way. One of my favorite movies um, is a movie called The Guardian. It stars Ashton Kutcher and um, Kevin Costner before he went all Yellowstone on us. Some of y'all are way too heathen. I'm just saying. In this movie, The Guardian, it's about these uh, rescue divers who serve in the Coast Guard. And they go into the most chaotic, tumultuous seas, jump out of plane helicopters to rescue people who are drowning in the fear and the chaos of their situation. This is the picture of the Prince of Peace who shows up in the chaos waters of our world reaped with evil that you can see and not see. And he reaches down into the moments of uh, your brokenness to your cry for help and he rescues you out of the certain death that is the waters of evil in our world. And he rescues you to bring you wholeness, to bring you shalom, to make it all well. He is the Savior who brings wholeness. He is the Savior who rescues you and brings shalom to you. See, we can't talk about the peace of God without talking about the salvation of God because they are one and the same. 
Salvation isn't just rescuing you from hell. Salvation isn't just rescuing from sin. It is bringing you out of the chaos of those things and beginning to mend and make you whole. It's a restorative thing. It's a redeeming thing. It's a freeing thing. It's not just a forgiving thing. Not to make little of the forgiveness of God. Not to make little of the mercy of God. Because if it were not for the forgiveness of God, if it were not for the mercy of God, none of us would be here today. His kindness is ever enduring. I've I've been thinking a ton about God's mercy recently because I heard someone say that what if the things that we call the blessings of God are simply just the mercy of God prolonging us until we repent? It's getting a little hot. I'm going to move my hand. <laughs> Sorry, I'm using my hands, and all of a sudden it starts to like, whew. <clears throat> that brings a whole new word to being on fire today, huh? Hey! People in our world, you and I, must be rescued from the brokenness and the poison of sin. This is why we sing for our peace. This is why we look for the arrival yet again of the conquering Savior who is the Prince of Peace, whose kingdom will have no end. This is why we sit longing to be rescued from our own chaos waters, like a rescued diver, swimmer in the Coast Guard, pulling people from certain death. Unless you receive and make room in your heart for the Prince of Peace, you will drown in the chaos and certain death of your own sin too. And I will drown in the chaos and the death and the depravity of my own sin. But for unto us, a child has been born, a savior, a son. Oh, he's been given. He's wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And he is the prince of bringing wholeness. He is the prince of bringing redemption. He is the prince of bringing sozo salvation that rescues you and makes you whole. See, salvation isn't just your get out of hell free card. Salvation is the restorative work of the presence of the spirit in your life to bring wholeness to the pieces that have been torn apart because of the sin in our world and in your life. The question then becomes, well, how in the world do we receive this peace? How in the world do we allow the the fragmented pieces of our life to be put together in a wholeness into a mosaic of beauty and honor and and wonder? How, How do we sing like Mary in the midst of so much uncertainty and sing for our peace, allowing the peace of God to to come and be in our life? How do we receive this wholeness? I think we can look to another song of our spiritual ancestors and we can see from them a a bit of a roadmap, a guide, if you will, to encountering and receiving the wholeness that comes from our Prince of Peace, to to seeing how we could experience the sozo soterio of Christ himself, how we can experience God, our Savior. God, 
our shalom. I think we see this guide found in Psalm 51. If you would, turn with me to Psalm chapter 51. We're going to kind of spend the rest of our time here in this text, and I'm going to kind of go through a couple verses at a time, making some observations and some application for us on how we can encounter, receive, and walk in the shalom that comes from the prince of all shalom. How we can let that rule in our hearts so that the chaos of our life doesn't rule and reign, but rather the shalom of the prince of shalom rules and reigns in our life. I think David gives us a little bit of a hint. And for those of you that have already opened your Advent guides this morning, you know this is the text that we're reading today in our Advent as well. Psalm 51 says this starting in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Not because I'm so loving and lovable, but because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, God. Blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you. And you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me, God, it is just. Here's what I want you to see. David starting out this psalm after a pretty um, scandalous season of sinning. Kind of wrecked some things in his world. And here we see him crying out for the shalom, the, the, the peace that only God can bring. And he's recognizing that the remedy, part of, part of the reason for his lack of peace is the reality of his ongoing sin. And he, he starts by making repentance. I want you to see today that repentance starts with honest confession. If we're going to receive the shalom of God, there has to be some repentance. Repentance starts with honest confession. Notice he is not blame-shifting his circumstance. He's not blame-shifting the people around him. He's not saying, well, I know I sinned, but everybody else sins too. Come on. How often when we talk about our own sin, our own failures, we're so quick to say, yeah, I sinned, but so does everybody else, God. As if, like, they get to stand with us on the day of judgment and be like, yeah, but it wasn't as bad as them. Like, nope. He takes honest confession. He's not blame-shifting someone else. Well, if I grew up in a better situation and my parents were more loving and they took me to church, I wouldn't be in this, this state that I'm in right now. No, he doesn't blame-shift. He just owns up to the fact that, man, it's my own sin. And he's not blame-sharing either. He's not blaming someone else, and he's not trying to say, yeah, yeah, but also they played a role in this. How many times have you, you like gone to uh, have a conversation with somebody who's making repentance to you? You're like, hey, I just want to say I'm sorry for if I've made you feel this way, as if it, your feelings about what they did are also part of the blame. 
It's not real repentance, by the way. Repentance is all about my actions and has nothing to do with anybody else's actions. And, and some of our relationships are so broken and fragmented and, and fraying because we're constantly trying to share the blame rather than owning for our actions or inactions. And the same happens in our relationship with God. Repentance starts with an honest confession, not shifting the blame, nor trying to have somebody share in the blame. It's just us. And David says, have mercy on me. Like, wash me clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize, I love this, my rebellion. It's not a word we use very often. Rebellion is knowing what to do and choosing not to do it. Knowing, knowing God said do this and you decide to do something different. Re- rebellion, the Bible says, is bound in the heart of every child. I- in all of us. Right? Like, there's something defiant that says, oh, you want me not to do that? Watch me do that. <laughs> and, and if we're going to experience the wholeness, the shalom of God is going to come because it starts with repentance that is surrounded, birthed in, saturated in honest confession. He goes on to say this in verse 5, For I was born a sinner. Yeah, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. What, what is he trying to, to say? He's trying to say this. Number two, rebellion against God is a bent that we're all born with. We're all born with a bent. You didn't have to teach your kids how to be selfish. They were born with that selfishness. We, we don't have to teach humans how to lie. We just naturally try to self-preserve that way. We, we, don't ha- we don't have to teach humanity how to lash out in anger. We just naturally do that. We, we are born this understanding, uh, there's a deep theological truth r- kind of embedded in this. And, and, and the deep theological truth of Scripture is that we are all born in need of a Savior because we are all born into sin. And without a Savior, we are doomed to continue to live in evil. Live with this rebellion, a bent towards it. We're all born with that. If you're wondering what is causing such destruction in our world today, we were all born with sin. If you're wondering what is the source of all the broken pieces of your life and the world, it's sin. This, this sin, what is sin? Sin means to miss the mark. What's the mark? God is the mark. What's the mark? What is the sin? Sin is aiming and living and acting out of outside of a relationship with God that is a communing relationship with God himself. Sin is to hit a target 
and to live in a direction and in an action that is more contrary to the way of God than it is the way of God. That's sin. Sin is to miss this mark, and, 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 and we're all born with this bent towards this sin. David goes on to kind of give us a guide. Not only do we need to repent, recognizing that rebellion is kind of born in us, the text goes on to say this, purify me from, here's the ownership again, my sins. And I will be clean. Oh, he's got such hope here. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. In other words, I've come face to face with this impurity, this, this, this evil in me, this recognition that there's something in me that stirs and moves me away from God. There's something in me. God, would you wash me? It's a stain on a garment of my life. You ever had those pesky stains that you can't like get out of your garment? Like every time you look at that garment, you're like, yep, I missed my mouth with spaghetti again. There it is. (laughs) That's just me. Spaghetti stains on all my stuff. And every time I see the garment, I know I messed it. That's what sin does. Every time we see the stain of our lives. And so many of us have a hard time coming to communion. So many of us have a hard time singing a song because we keep seeing a stain. And perhaps we keep seeing the stain because we've never actually offered real repentance. But many of us have offered real repentance, but we keep seeing a stain. And I came to tell you today that God has purified your sins and made you clean. Because 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive, to wipe clean, forgive the debt of that sin. And you need to know that God doesn't even see the stain on the garment anymore. I love how the ESV says, verse 7, and many other translations do too. It says it like this, purge me with hyssop. When I read that this week, I was like, hyssop? That doesn't even sound fun. Like, what is this all about? A quick, uh, can I just take you on like a Bible nerd track for a minute? Cool, I am. Uh, You're sitting in my living room. I have the microphone. Let's go on a Bible nerd journey for just a minute. Let's double click on this word hyssop. I went and I saw in the Old Testament that hyssop, this, this leafy branch thing, was used in the ritual purification that they would do and perform to declare someone clean from leprosy. Leprosy was this flesh-eating bacteria where it deteriorated the skin, it was noticeable by everybody and highly contagious. Friends, <laughs> I'm about. I'm gonna sit down because if I don't, I'm gonna just get get. Some of you are already there. Sin is this contagious thing in all of us, and when He cleanses us free of our sin and the operating system of sin, there is this hyssop that is clean, the repentance that we bring to the Lord and the forgiveness that we receive. When He washes us clean of the stain, He actually brings healing and wholeness to the disease itself that is being born within us. How does he do it? He gives us a spirit and rewrites the human code inside of us. 
and reworks us to live in the way of righteousness rather than working in the way of perdition and sin. He redeems and cleans us completely. The hyssop branch was also used to sprinkle blood. They would dip it in the blood of the animal, the lamb, at the Passover meal, saying, here is death that is coming, but because of the blood of the lamb, you're now clean and will not experience that certain death of eternal separation from God. A hyssop branch was also used. This is just so fun to me. The hyssop branch was used at the Passover on Good Friday when they offered the wine to Jesus as he was dying. The redemption of our Prince of Shalom is full and complete. And the stain of sin is gone. And he washes us whiter than snow. Because on to say this in verse 9, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me instead, this is what he does, a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a loyal and allegiant, a faithful spirit within me. Do not banish me from your, what's that word? Presence. Presence. The peace, the abiding reality of God with us. The spirit of his grace at work in us. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me instead the joy of your sozo, your salvation, your shalom. And make me willing, I love this, to obey. As opposed to live in rebellion, I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to walk in obedience to God, to the ways of God, to the king, to the prince of shalom. I love that here's here's this next thought that we see from this set of verses, and that's this, that restoration brings us peace. This is what happens when we repent, when, when we recognize our own rebellion and, and we experience the, the cleansing work that, re, the, that comes through the redemptive work of the cross itself. What Jesus has done for us, his redemption provided for us, then restoration begins to bring us peace. We get to receive the shalom, the wholeness, the, the, instead of the broken, stained, sin-tattered parts of our lives. Now they've been cleaned, they've been made right, they, they've been put back together and he gives us his spirit to live in us abide in us so that we can stay in communion with him and always be filled with his peace with his presence with his fullness and as a result loyalty to God flows from us faith to God flows from us this allegiance in God's direction is the hallmark of our restoration And it goes on to say this. I love verse 13. It begins to describe our purpose in having his peace, our purpose in receiving this wholeness. He says this, Then I will teach your ways to rebels, 
and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully, what's that word? What's that word? Sing. Sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. So if you ever wonder why we have you sing out loud, it's biblical. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would actually offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice, God, that you really desire is a broken spirit. Here's the promise. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. You want to know why we don't repent and get clear with our confession? Because we're afraid we're going to get rejected. The promise of God is this. If you don't repent, you will be rejected. But if you do repent, you will not be rejected. If you want the shalom, the peace, if you want the brokenness put back together, this idea of a broken heart and a broken spirit is the sacrifice that God longs for. It is the action that he's looking for, and it helps us to respond with worship. I think worship is this this act that we do that often, um, for for me, can can I just speak? For me, worship is often an act of my own broken surrender. My own inability. I've heard people talk about um, how raising your hands to God is, is like a child raising their hands towards their parent because they need that comfort, they need that love, they need that help, they need that rescue. And I definitely feel like that's an appropriate reality in my life. Because like David, I, I know the brokenness. I know the sins. I know the things that, I, that when I look at my own life, I feel completely stained. But there is a Savior who came as a child to bring wholeness and peace to us all. Friends, peace is found in the presence of God. That happens in a corporate setting, but it also happens individually when you walk the road of repentance like David did in Psalm 51. Have you ever um, heard the phrase in in movies, uh, have you made peace with your maker yet? Because you're about to meet him, right? Like, Like those... Those antagonistic, passive-aggressive statements. Have you made peace with your maker yet? Friends, we don't really make peace with God. God makes peace with us, but we do repent. And if we're going to experience the abiding presence of God with us all the time, his Holy Spirit, which is known as salvation... If we're going to experience that peace 
that brings an eventual wholeness and a progression of becoming more and more right and put together and the broken pieces getting restored and all of the joy of ourselves. If we're going to experience all of those things, it comes from receiving the shalom of the Savior. And his name is Jesus. And the presence of God, the peace of God, restores what's missing, what's lacking, what's broken, because Jesus is our shalom. He is our wholeness. He is our peace with the Almighty. And a broken, repentant person, God will never reject. Never. Oh, he welcomes us in and begins the mending process. I love Romans 5. One says, therefore, since we've been made right with God, by our loyalty to him, our faith, our allegiance, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. John 14, 27, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the rest of the world cannot give. Which means many of you are trying to silence the chaos in your life and it's not working. Many of you are trying to to pick up the pieces of your life and put them back together and it's not working. Many of you are trying to run and outrun the stain of your sin and it ain't working. And you find yourself still in a place of brokenness. The world cannot give you the peace. Money won't give it to you. Your kids being more successful than their cousins won't give it to you. Having a job that's guaranteed never to end won't give it to you. Filling your life with people who tell you how wonderful and awesome and beautiful and powerful and courageous and capable you are won't give it to you. Finally getting the physique and the body that you always wanted won't give it to you. At the end of the bottle of pills, won't give it to you. The ongoing numbing of alcohol won't give it to you. Because the gift of wholeness that you're looking for is a gift the world cannot give. But the creator of the world can give it to you. His name is Jesus. And we can receive when we repent. Would you stand to your feet with me? Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, and just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Maybe in this moment, you're going to make honest confession and repentance to God for the first time. Maybe there's some things that you know 
Man, you, you've had peace with God. You, you know you're in the family of God. You know the Spirit of God lives in you, but, but there's some things that you've been hiding and running from and trying to find security in and find external peace in, and it's just not working. And you recognize that it's the person of Christ that you need. Would you just take a moment and have a conversation with God? God, you are our maker, the creator of heaven and earth. And Lord, the peace that we all long for in this world is not anything we'll find born of this world, but it is something that we can find born from God, the Son of God, given as a gift to us to be our peace to be our shalom. God, I pray for those in this room who are making repentance to you. Lord, would you meet them in this moment knowing that you're not rejecting them at all. You're rejoicing. Lord, would you manifest your presence in the lives and the hearts and the minds of those who are just feeling overwhelmed by the chaos of the world the pull and the demands and the craziness and the hectic the disappointments the God would you bring peace to them your wholeness right now spirit, soul and body Prince of Peace, we welcome you. There it is. It's hitting some of you right now. Just a sense of wholeness beginning. Recognizing that God is in you and with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being our peace, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. And everybody said. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link, just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.